Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible and want to open to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Luke 10, 38 to 42. And it'll be on the screen as well. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So, for many of us, this is probably a somewhat familiar story. Um, if you've been around church for a bit or grown up in the church, chances are you've heard somebody teach on this or preach on this or have a Sunday school on it or something. Um, it's a pretty familiar passage. If you go to Amazon or Christian book distributors, CBD, you know, the on, largest online Christian book company or whatever it's called, I think their slogan is everything Christian for less, which I don't know why that just bugs me. But <laughs> anyway, that's another story. But if you go, there, there are dozens of self-help books on this, these short few verses about Mary and Martha. And typically, the gist of these, the message or these books goes something like this. Martha was a doer. Uh, she busied herself with cleaning the house and cooking and doing the dishes, serving her guests. Uh, like any typical 1950s American housewife, Martha's identity was wrapped up in being the perfect hostess and ideal homemaker. And so while Martha was busy being a doer, Mary was being a beater. Mary understood something that Martha did not. Mary understood that a rich life is a contemplative life. So real meaning, real joy comes from spending time with Jesus in prayer and Bible study. And so the overall point of this story, as it goes, is that it's to exhort us as Christians to live a contemplative life, to have a daily quiet time to make sure every morning we get our cup of coffee and leather-bound journal and uh, our mellow Spotify playlist of Christian worship music and we have our time with the Lord every day. And that those of us who are activists or who struggle with prayer, well, we're kind of in trouble. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you can see this, but my favorite book title I found is called Having a Martha Home the Merry Way, 31 Days to a Clean House and a Satisfied Soul. Because clearly, Luke, when he wrote his gospel, was concerned about our dust bunnies under our beds. But uh, I'm being a little cheeky here. Um, and please don't misunderstand me. I think it's important to have a, a rich life of prayer and a Bible study. Um, but I just don't think that this particular story is necessarily about that. In fact, I think there's something a bit more provocative going on here. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of historical background to this passage, and I think when we're through, you'll, you'll see just how radical maybe even what Jesus is doing here is. So here we go. So Jewish culture in the first century 
was not very friendly to women. Uh, a common Jewish prayer that men prayed from the Talmud went something like this. Blessed are you, O God, that I am not a brute creature, an animal, nor a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, nor a woman. <laughs> men prayed this prayer regularly. Uh, a man in Jesus' day could divorce his wife for almost any reason at all. Um, burning the toast was a, one actually that happened. Um, and when a man would divorce his wife, uh, he would leave her with no source of income, no way of providing for her family, and it, often forcing her into prostitution just to survive. Uh, it was against Jewish law to educate a woman. Women did not eat meals with men in the same room. Uh, in a Jewish home, there was a, a public space for men, and then there was a private space for women and children. The only time men and women mixed were as kids playing or in the marriage bedroom. And so men and women did not work together, eat together, socialize together. It was, it was just so different than our context today. The broader Greco-Roman world was even worse in their treatment of women. Um, Rodney Stark, a sociologist from the University of Washington, wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And he talks about how the Greco-Roman world at that time treated women. Uh, he said that infanticide was common in their day. And typically it was uh, morally acceptable and common with girl babies um, to expose them. In fact, most families, even large families, would not keep more than one female child. Um, Stark writes about excavations where they discover just horrific findings. Um, in Athens, women were often married as early as 11 or 12 years of age to men, um, whose average age at marriage was 30. Uh, under Athenian law, women were classified as children their entire lives. So they basically belonged legal property of a man, either their father or their husband, throughout their entire lives. And so this is kind of the historical context for this Mary and Martha story, this passage. And here is Mary. While her sister Martha is in the other room uh, with the other women, doing what the women were supposed to be doing, Mary is sitting with Jesus. In other words, she's sitting with the other men. And this would have been just scandalous in and of itself. It would have had all kinds of connotations. But even worse, here's Mary, a woman sitting at the feet of a rabbi. Now, when we think of sitting at the feet of somebody, maybe you think of, you know, adoring fans sitting at the feet of some kind of rock star or movie star or hero or something like that. But in Jesus' day, to sit at the feet of a rabbi had a very specific meaning. It was to be a disciple of that rabbi, to actually learn and study from that rabbi, to become like that rabbi, and to become a teacher as well, to one day become a rabbi yourself. And so here is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, not just having her devotional time with him, she is taking her place as an eventual teacher and preacher of the gospel. Martha's not just upset with Mary because she's not doing her fair share of the housework. She's upset with Mary because Mary is doing what 
at that time only men were supposed to be doing. And the most remarkable thing is that Jesus affirms Mary for doing it. Jesus says that Mary is doing the most important thing. Mary had encountered Jesus. She had heard him proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand. She had witnessed him healing people and forgiving people and casting out demons and raising the dead, feeding the hungry, teaching the masses, setting those in bondage to sin free. And, and Mary wants to be a part of it. She wants to join the project. She wants to be a part of this Jesus movement. She wants to be a disciple of Jesus. And just like any disciple worth her salt, she wants to be just like her rabbi, Jesus. Jesus described his own mission this way. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. One of the, one of the reasons I love Jesus is, is because of this right here. Uh, in, in a culture that marginalized and objectified and, and really dehumanized women, Jesus was radically different. In a culture that used shame and fear and the law and even violence to oppress women and to maintain men's power, Jesus was radically different. He reaffirms that, that women too are made in the image of God. He teaches and empowers women to be his witnesses and disciples, just like men. He fights unjust interpretations of the Jewish law. Throughout his ministry, we're told that Jesus consistently notices and identifies with the outcast, the marginalized, the oppressed, the forgotten, and, and he includes them. He welcomes them, he humanizes them, and he gives them status once again. Whether it's someone who is sick, or disabled, whether it's the poor or a beggar, whether it's someone who's been labeled unclean because of their past, whether it's a religious minority who, who inspired xenophobia on the part of the Jewish people of his day, whether it's someone caught in moral failure, or even a terrorist hanging on a cross next to him. Jesus welcomes, he, he forgives, he heals, he sets free, he elevates, he, he restores their humanity. He reminds the watching world that the very least in our society, those we've often forgotten and rejected, they too are made in the image of God. They too are loved. And that in his kingdom, things don't work the way they do in our world. The last are first. The least are greatest. I just, I, I love this. And this is such good news for all of us. I mean, you know, we live in a, in a culture that values wealth and power and beauty. For those of us who feel excluded or forgotten, for those of us who don't meet the, the photoshopped and airbrushed cultural ideals of beauty, Jesus reminds us that, hey, we too are made in the image of God. We live in a, a culture that's increasingly fragmented by race and politics and nationality but for those of us who feel excluded Jesus welcomes us into his family 
Too many women in our world bear the scars of, of male privilege and sexism and violence and then are told that they're unlovable because of it. But Jesus says, no. He silences the voices of the accusers and says, no, you are loved. Far too often we, we can carry around the baggage of, of our past, of our mistakes, our failures. Maybe we feel like second-class citizens, but Jesus says, no, I want to use you. Jesus silences the voice of the accuser. He speaks the truth of our acceptance in Christ. He tells the Marthas of the world who say that we need to get back into our place. When the Marthas ask, who do you think you are? How dare you sit at the feet of Jesus? How dare you think that Jesus can use you to proclaim his gospel? To bring healing and life and forgiveness to this world? Look at you. Who do you think you are? But then Jesus says, no, stay right where you are, Mary. Sit at my feet and learn from me. I want to use you to do great things in this world. I have dreams and plans and hopes for you. One of the reasons I, I love Jesus and follow him is, is I've experienced this in my own life and I, I've seen him do this in so, so many other lives. And, and, and when I'm overcome by doubt, when I'm in the midst of, of pain or confusion, I can't understand my circumstances, when my you know prayers seem like they're bouncing off the ceiling and, and I wonder where God is and does God even exist? I, I can't walk away from this Jesus. I can't get past this Jesus, this man who's so full of grace and wisdom and compassion, so beautiful. My prayer for us this morning is that we would all encounter this kind of Jesus in our lives, that we would know the experience of Mary, that when we trust him, when we take a risk, that we would hear his voice of affirmation inviting us to sit at his feet, to really know him, to learn from him, to become like him. There's a, another side to our story, though, this morning. It's a bit more challenging. I want you to stop and think about Mary for a moment. Just think about the courage required for what Mary did. She took a risk, a huge risk. Her decision to follow Jesus causes her to be ostracized by her family and friends. I mean, if you can imagine the sense of um, the looks, the, the sense of shame, the, the critique that she would have encountered for breaking these really ingrained social, cultural taboos. Even her own sister goes after her. But Mary, she, she's gripped by Jesus. She's gripped by the announcement of his kingdom, and she wants to be a part of it. But her decision comes with a cost. She pays a price. 
couple of years ago, a, a young woman named Annie joined our Kyatha community. And Annie had grown up in a uh, mega church outside of Chicago. I won't tell you which one it is. <laughs> but um, even though she had grown up in this church, her brother got her into smoking marijuana um, at the age of 14. And so when she came to University of Vermont, um, as you might expect, UVM is consistently ranked as one of the top pot-smoking schools in America. And so um, when she got to UVM, her habit became worse. Annie described uh, an early experience on campus this way her freshman year. She said, I had a friend who would smoke with me on weekends and weeknights. I started getting offered free edibles. Weed was everywhere on campus. I never said no. I remember a day when I was walking around with beer, weed, and Xanax in my system all at once. It ended up hitting me so hard, I barely made it home, and I passed out on the floor for hours. Annie, though, based on her church background, got involved with Chi Alpha, and she attended our first fall retreat. Uh, we have another one coming up in just a couple weeks. And at that retreat, she made the decision to fully give her life to Christ. Um, and she was driving home with some students, and she was telling them, without even thinking about it, she just said, yeah, I'm going to probably go home, and uh, I had some friends want, want me to go smoking with them tonight. And one of our student leaders looked at her and said, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and she said, what? She had no idea. And so they started talking about marijuana and smoking pot and whether or not this was a good thing as a follower of Christ. And so she made the decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get sober. But that was a difficult decision because her whole social life, all of her friends, the, the circles she was in, they were all, it was all based on this kind of party scene. And so as she began to say no to, to smoking pot, she began to experience isolation and loneliness. Uh, friends began making fun of her. They teased her. Uh, they stopped hanging out with her. She wasn't fun anymore. But this is what she wrote to me. She said, I realized I can't live on my own terms. I don't get to pick and choose the pieces of the Bible I want to follow. I chose to live for Christ and to live the life he chose for me. If that means waiting until marriage for sex, not drinking, smoking, or popping pills, or just plain putting him above all else, that's what I now want to do. In the face of criticism and critique, she was just like Mary, right? Going against the grain, going against the cultural values, living a countercultural life of devotion to Jesus. The story reminds me of another young woman, Ashley Simpson, a wonderful uh, campus missionary with Chi Alpha, as some of you have met and know. Uh, Ashley graduated from UVM with a degree in music education. Uh, she's student taught in Colchester, where I live. And she had some wonderful opportunities to pursue a good, secure, tenured, uh, teacher back, teacher's union-backed job in a public school with good health benefits and summers off. <laughs> My dad was a teacher. He always liked to rub that into me that he had summers off. But instead, uh, he chose, she chose rather, to be a missionary to students at UVM, to live by faith, to raise support 
as a missionary in the least church, least Christian state in, in America. And, and I recently asked her why. Why would she do it? Why would she give up the secure thing and take this risk? And this is what she wrote to me. She said, as a freshman at UVM, I struggled with the party culture and depression. There are students that come onto our campus dealing with similar things and harder things than those. They need hope and healing. Jesus offers freedom from bondage and pain, and we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to share the hope and freedom that he offers. We are the ones that he can use to share his love. Is there a greater story than the one of Jesus to lay down our lives for? Is there a greater story than the one of Jesus to lay down our lives for? I want to encourage you this morning and challenge you. Just like Mary, Jesus invites each one of us to sit at his feet, to be a disciple, to, to learn from him, to become like him, and to be used by him in what is perhaps the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. To announce hope to a world, freedom from sin and brokenness and chaos and pain. And sometimes we feel like Mary. We, we think, who am I? We've been relegated to the quote-unquote metaphorical women's quarter, so to speak. You know, we're, we're not worthy. We're not good enough. We're not talented enough. By the world's standards, we're nobody. We don't have what it takes. We don't have the credentials, the smarts, the looks, the gifting, the status, the power, the whatever. Maybe in our own hearts and minds, we've written ourselves off. We think, I can never be used by God. I, I did this. I, I struggle with this. Who am I? God can't use me. But Jesus, just like he did with this woman, Mary, in a culture that said all those kinds of things about women, he invited her to join him to sit at his feet, to learn from him, to do what he does, to announce God's good news of his kingdom, to work through her. And he wants to work through each and every one of us. But just like for Mary, that invitation can come with a price. Saying yes to Jesus, trusting him in this kind of way, sometimes costs us something. Sometimes we experience a bit of pushback from people, even those who are closest to us. We have to be sometimes a bit different, and that can be hard. Being different is hard, but it can also be really beautiful. In a culture of greed and materialism, when what makes a person valuable and significant is the balance in their bank account or having lots of toys or whatever it is, being generous is beautiful. Living a life of sacrificial giving is beautiful. In a world where, where we're so connected on our devices and social media, yet so many people feel so alone and isolated, 
so full of anxiety and depression even. What's more beautiful than, than generous hospitality? Of inviting others in, those who are marginalized, lonely, and offering them real, genuine friendship. In a world of broken promises, what's more beautiful than, than faithfulness? In a world that holds grudges and often, too often feels entitled to be right, and is too willing to write people off because of disagreements, whether it's political or cultural or whatever, what's more beautiful than people who can say, I'm sorry, who are humble, who willing, are willing to pursue reconciliation, who are willing to say our relationship is worth fighting for. You are worth fighting for. And when we get pushed back, when the Marthas of this world say, hey, Mary, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not following the rules. You're supposed to be back here. Jesus will say to us as well, you have chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from you. When we risk for him, when we step out on a limb, when we live counterculturally because of our love and devotion to him, he will embrace us and affirm us, even when it costs us something. So this morning I want to ask you, what might he be calling you to? How might he be calling you to risk in a relationship? To be honest where you haven't been before. To share his good news with someone you haven't before. To be willing to offer friendship, hospitality, grace, invitation to, to someone you haven't before. How might he want to use you Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are just incredible. You are such a beautiful man and beautiful God. The way you lived in this world, the way you interacted with men and women in this world, the way you loved the broken and the oppressed and the outcast. Father, I, I, I'm blown away that the way that that has changed our world. That I can, I can stand up here and speak in a room of women, doctors and professionals and teachers and ministers because of you and your, your kingdom breaking through in this world. Lord, thank you for the grace in our lives that when we were outsiders, you pursued us and welcomed us and empowered us. Thank you for calling us your own. Lord, I pray that we, we would grow more and more deeply in love with you and just amazed by who you are, gripped by your heart and your your good news for this world. 
And I pray that as we step out and risk, when we face pushback, when we face the look or the, the critique or encounter paying a price for our devotion to you, Lord, would you speak loudly and clearly into each of our hearts that you love us, that we have chosen the better thing, that you will not take it away from us. Lord, we give you our lives and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.